Hello and welcome to another episode in our APW podcast series, uh, where we're looking at UK residential property from an investor's perspective. Today, the APW property experts, Stuart and Callum Williamson, are going to be answering one of their FAQs, or frequently asked questions. Uh, so before that, hello. Hi, Stuart. Hello, Paul. And hello, Callum. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, my name's Paul Shearer. I've been writing about property for over 15 years. Um, Callum, what is today's FAQ? Everyone's favourite subject. We are talking about tax, uh, more specifically what taxes apply to buying a rental property in the UK. Well, there's a gazillion dollar question or pound sterling question, uh, taxes. And there's the old saying, which is attributed to Benjamin Franklin, nothing is certain except death and taxes. So what do we have to pay? Okay, so I mean, it all. I would just caveat caveat that by saying it all obviously depends on your personal situation, right? But in general, the taxes you can expect to pay are income tax on the rental income, uh, the stamp duty when you buy a property, and capital gains tax perhaps when you sell it. Uh, those are if you're buying it in a personal name, and then it's slightly different than if you're buying it through a company. Okay, so we're just going to look at the personal um, taxes today. We'll return to company taxes in a later podcast, but um, let's kick it off with income tax. What can we say in broad terms about that? Okay, so we'll start with income tax. Um, if, you're U- if you're a UK passport holder, you will have a personal tax free allowance in the UK um, of up to uh, £12,570. Um, so most of us as expats, most of our clients as expats living and working overseas are not going to be earning any income in the UK. So most of them will have that personal tax free allowance to take advantage of. But thereafter, it's a ratchet system. So you go up to the basic rate, which is 20%, and that's from 12,500 up to about 50,000. Then it's the higher rate, which is 50,000 to 150,000. And then you've got the additional rate, the top end rate, which is over 150,000. You, you pay 45% as opposed to 40%. And, the, and that higher rate, sorry, the 50,000 to 150,000 is a 40% tax rate. Yeah, that's correct. And this is all paid on, on all the rental income? Uh, there's certain things you can, you can discount as expenses. You used to be able to do the mortgage interest, but crucially, you cannot do that anymore. Uh, since the government changed the law, I think it was in 2017, it's been phased out 2017 through to 2021. Now there's just a 20% um, sort of tax credit on that. Tax relief that landlords of residential properties get for finance costs will be restricted to the basic rate of income tax. Here we go. Uh, this will be phased in from April 2017 and become fully in place by April 2020. So this not being able to set your finance cost against the rent applies to other loans and overdrafts as well. Um, if you bought furniture on a loan and if you, you know, had to go into an overdraft to do some repairs, none of those finance costs are now chargeable as far as I understand. But again, we should caveat by saying we're not financial advisors here and you should probably get your accounts looked at by accountants. Yeah, that's correct. And I mean, you can, it's free to have a conversation with a, you know, a tax advisor or an accountant, you can just give them an outline of your situation and they'll they'll give you that advice for free. So yes, make sure you get proper professional advice when it comes to tax. Okay. Um, so stamp duty next, that was income tax. Let's have a look at stamp duty. Stuart, what can you tell us about that? Well, basically it's a heinous tax. <laughs> don't, don't get him started. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's a heinous tax because it stops people being able to move simply. Because let's imagine you get a job in Glasgow 
and you want to move up there, but you can't because you've got to pay stamp duty on the property purchase. Or So you're going to think, well, I'm not going to move. So therefore, why take the job? So it's going to stop people being productive and well, stop people earning money for the economy. Just to pick you up on that, if you move to Glasgow, you wouldn't be paying stamp duty. You'd be paying the land and buildings transaction tax because Scotland uh, has different different criteria for how to fleece people. You'd yes, have it's to- heinous as well. So £14.1 billion raised in 2021-2022, which the government loves, you know, and it won't give it up, although other governments around the world have given it up and it has aided the economy. So there we go. Stamp duty, heinous. Okay, well, an overview there. You've got to pay stamp duty land tax if you buy a property or land over a certain price in England and Northern Ireland. Uh, As I said, the tax is different uh, if the property or land is in Scotland, where you pay land and buildings transaction tax, and Wales, where you pay land transaction tax, if the sale was completed on or after the 1st of April 2018. You pay the tax when you buy a freehold property, buy a new or existing leasehold, buy a property through a shared ownership scheme, or are transferred land or property in exchange for payment, for example, if you take on a mortgage or buy a share in a home. Take us through some of the bans and some of the current rates because uh, it has become more complicated. And uh, there was the stamp duty land tax holiday during the pandemic, which has also altered things. But uh, take us through what we know at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously to rant on again, as I will, the stamp duty holiday was a complete disgrace. And all it did was pump up the price for houses in the UK when it didn't need it. Anyway, back to the point. Basically, up to £125,000, if you're a UK resident, you pay nothing. After that, from that up to 250000 is 2%. The next 675 up to 925000 is 5%. Then up to $1.5 million is 10%. And anything above $1.5 million is taxed at 12%. So to give you an example, if you bought a house at £295,000, you pay nothing on the first 125, you then pay 2% on the next 125, which equates to 2,500, and then 5% on the final 45,000 pounds, another 2,250. So the total stamp duty would be 4,750 pounds. That's if you're a UK resident. If you're buying from buying internationally, then you have an extra 2% levy, which goes on top of it, which is basically your non-resident fee. So it becomes quite expensive. If you own more than one property, there's an extra 3% on top of that as well. Yeah, if, if it's a buy-to-let or it's a second property, then it's an extra 3%. So, you know, if you're buying from overseas then and you're buying as an investment, then all of a sudden you've got a 5% to pay on the first 125000 and then 8% on the, the next 125000 So something we get asked a lot is, well, what's, you know, should I still do it? And it makes it more difficult to earn a profit if you're trying to flip properties and buy them and sell them in six months or 12 months because you've got those big sunk upfront costs, right? But if you're, as we often preach, you know, you're buying for the long term to buy for an income or for a pension income, you know, then over 20 years, what's the word you used in a recent podcast, you amortize that cost. Um, and you know, if you look at growth, sorry, if you look at growth in the UK last year, 12%, 12%, you know, if you're paying 5% stamp duty, you're still technically making 7% gain on the property. So people should should not be put off by it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
And when's the stamp duty land tax payable? I mean, it was obviously something that the solicitor will sort out in your paperwork when you buy somewhere, but uh, uh, it's payable up front, isn't it? It's payable on completion of the sale. So you don't pay it, you pay your deposit up front, and then in three months' time when you've got your mortgage and it goes through, then you'd pay the stamp duty before you actually take possession of the property. Okay. Uh, Well, for more information, there is plenty on the gov.uk website but it's quite a complex tax now so do have a look and read the small print let's go on to capital gains tax now um what can you tell us about that well basically capital gains tax is paid on the gain i.e the money you make so it's actually a good tax to have okay so it includes residential property and many other sorts of um uh, asset although normally it is not applied to your main home and that's a a point of uh discussion to always have is what is your main home and how do you regain it as a home you also need to pay capital gains tax when you sell other sorts of stuff like shares artwork jewelry those sort of things if you have them so you're going to hang on to that brooch you're wearing then Stuart. it goes with this hat very nicely so i think i will so you only pay capital gains tax on the rise in value of the asset. So if you purchased your buy-to-let property 10 years ago for £250,000 and sell it for £500,000, capital gains tax would be payable on the £250,000 difference between the two, uh, but it would be set against a capital gains allowance. But again, for the full info, you would need an accountant. Yes, if I can just say something there. I do believe in 2015 they rebased it so basically, it's only since 2015 that you'd be taxable on CGT. And based on the fact that most properties in London haven't gone up since then, it means London's quite a tax-efficient place to own property and sell it at the moment, but the rest of the country not. But again, I'm not a tax accountant, and it'd be a good thing to check that. And most accountants will chat to you for an hour for free. After that, you'll have to pay sell your house to pay their bill. And there's always... As with most things with property, it's not as black and white as it may appear. You know, there's always ways to do things, um, you know, obviously within the law, but to sort of bend the rules slightly. I mean, for example, if you're wanting to realize equity in properties, you don't necessarily need to have to sell them. You know, you can remortgage them and you could get the cash out that way and you're not going to have to pay capital gains on that. So there are ways, depending on what your goals are, you know, if you have your clear end goal, then you can figure out the most efficient way to to reach it. it doesn't necessarily mean selling it paying tax you know there are there are ways to do things yes in this uh, we're not recommending tax avoidance uh with minimizing no, your not tax, at all. <laughs> minimizing your tax yeah. burden when do you have to pay the capital gains tax on a buy to let when you when you sell the property do, do you know I, I think it's it's payable within 30 days of completion of the sale and most lawyers will hold that back because you know, they don't want to be left, up, left having to chase you for it. And again, it makes sense. Better to plan ahead than um, find out later you haven't got enough money to pay it. Yes, I mean, it, it, the change in the law, it used to be able to be something that you could declare in your tax return. But now it's in the, following that change in the law that you have to pay it within 30 days of the completion of the sale. You mentioned as well the idea of moving into your property to uh, claim the residential tax relief. There are some rules about that. Uh, if you regain your property and it becomes your main home, then capital gains tax will be payable in different ways, but you would need a, an accountant to take you through the calculation of the capital gains tax. Any final thoughts on tax? 
I would say two things. Firstly, you know, it's um, try and look at it as, as a positive, you know, certainly income tax and capital gains, you know, you need to be making money to be paying tax, um, you know, and generally this is additional money you're making in addition to a salary or whatever it is you're earning from your job. So try and put a positive spin on it. And secondly, we mentioned accountants a lot there. You can get in touch with us or any accountant will have a chat with you, but you can also... Uh, if you just type it into Google, you can find tax calculators in the UK. Knight Frank do a really good one for stamp duty, for example. Uh, there are also capital gains tax calculators out there that you can use if you want to get a basic high level view, sort of ballpark figure of what you might need to pay. You can use those and they're really handy. Stuart? Uh, yeah, man, I think we talked previously about SPVs, single purpose vehicles. You know, you can still claim your Myrus mortgage interest relief at source through SPVs. So it's worth talking to a proper special purpose vehicle or company formation person to find out the benefits of that. And they will give you advice because they are backed by accountants who are licensed to do so. To set an SPV up is only £500 and then £280 a year to run it. And they do all your accounts and the whole shooting match. So I'd recommend doing that or taking advice on that at least. We'll be looking at the tax from a SPV ownership point of view in a future podcast. Uh, but next week, it's a market mosey. We're going to be looking back at July. Until then, goodbye from Stuart. Cheerio. And goodbye from Callum. Goodbye, Paul. And goodbye from me, Paul Shearer. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.